Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Context and Clarity has been called a community-based pro-practice masterclass for architects. It's awfully high praise, but since we began this journey back in April of 2020, we've certainly grown into a community of small firm architects, all focused on what matters most to their success. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm that's dreaming of going out on your own, or you've owned your own firm for 26 years. There's something here for everyone. And that's where you come in. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Context and Clarity Podcast. Every week, we have a conversation with an expert or a thought leader on things that matter most to the success of architects just like you. Then we go backstage with someone from our community and we talk about what we learned, what our biggest takeaways were, and how we're going to apply what we heard to our own businesses. In this episode, we talked with Ian Motley. Ian is the design fee wizard and the founder of Blue Turtle Consulting. One of the reasons that I wanted to bring Ian onto Context and Clarity Live is that anytime that we talk about fees, whether we talk about value-based pricing or the conversations and negotiations that lead up to the proposal, the reality is that more than a few small firm architects charge hourly for their work, and they often feel left out of that conversation. So at the very beginning of our conversation, I asked Ian about hourly because he advocates for an emotional-based system to approaching proposals. You'll have to listen to our conversation to hear what Ian thinks about charging hourly. How's that for a cliffhanger? Catherine McPhail joined me once again for the conversation with Ian Motley, as well as backstage afterward. Catherine is my co-host, and she's an architect and podcaster in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. In addition to context and clarity, Catherine hosts Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven, and she's the CEO of Demios Architects. As always, I'm looking forward to talking about our takeaways from the conversation, 
So let's go backstage and listen in as Catherine and I talk about our conversation with Ian Motley of Blue Turtle Consulting. I geek out over the things that that Ian talks about and that Ian works on because I think, again, my my focus on the business of architecture, it's, it's really about how do we build better businesses? And, and I think it starts with the marketing and, and the business development. And, you know, when Ian starts talking about uh, emotional connection to your clients and, you know, bringing that into your, your fee structures and your fee strategies that, that just really resonates with me. So I was looking forward to this conversation with Ian. I mean, it's, it's just really right up my alley. I think it's really important at this, at this juncture, as a past president said. Well, I was, I was really glad to meet him. As mm-hmm. I told him, I, I was a big fan of his since um, I first heard him on Entree Architect. It must have been the episode 252. And I must have listened to that episode several times. I know I took a lot of notes. And, and then I had a three-tiered proposal for a number of years. And, but then at the end of our conversation today, when he said, the mistake people make, and the reason we're still talking about it is because they take the service that they want to give, they take something away and they make it the lower price option. And then they add something and they make it the higher priced option. That's the problem. And I thought, oh no, obviously I need to go get some coaching from, from Ian, which would be fine with me because I think he's pretty awesome. So, but um, yeah, so I guess I, I, I missed the point somehow. What we talked about, what you and I and Ian talked about in, in this conversation, but also, um, you know, as I have prepared for this conversation, like you, I listened to the Entree Architect podcast episode 252, where he talked with Mark Arlapage. And then he was also on the Entree Architect podcast episode 428. Um, I listened to him talking to Dave Sharp on the Architecture Firm Marketing podcast. I think episode 26 maybe of that one off the top of my head. Apologies if that's wrong. I'm sure you can you can find it. But um, the... One of the things that really strikes me is that he's he's thinking about things and he's he's approaching these strategies differently than many of us have for years. And he mentioned that as we were talking to him, right? Ten or fifteen years ago, you know, the traditional way was was this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I said when we were talking, I learned to write proposals a certain way because I learned it from someone else that learned it from someone else. And not a single one of us had any business training in, in, uh, in architecture school. And so it's just, it's sort of my version of it is, is the blind leading the blind. And, and ultimately I don't think it's that great a model. So I, I think coming back to your point, I think one of the problems is that we do have to think a little bit differently. We have to change our mindset a little bit to really implement what Ian is talking about in the way that he's talking about it. That That's completely, that's very vague, I understand. So, you know, when, like you said, a three-tier proposal as an example, and Ian said, well, people take, they'll, they'll 
have their services. It'll be the middle tier and they take things away and they add things and that's how they get tiers one, two, and three. That's not really what he's talking about, right? We're talking about thinking about our services differently. We're talking about thinking about the value that we're providing differently. And to me, there are certainly people that are that are using tiered proposals, but not all of them are executing at the level that, that Ian is really talking about, I think. One thing I thought was interesting that he said in the very beginning was that there are different ways to set up your fee and they all have pros and cons. And so uh, unlike or in contrast to recent guests that we've had, he, he said there is a place for hourly and, and the benefit is, um, you know, if there's not a defined scope, that's the one way for you to get paid for all the hours that you work, but it also limits your reward, but there is a place for it. And so I thought it was kind of nice to hear some openness to, to that because there is, I don't know. I mean, there is a lot of pressure. I feel like there's a lot of pressure to not bill hourly, just bill based on the value that you are bringing to the project. Hourly rates, percentage, uh, lump sum fees, they all have their pros and cons. So we need to understand what the pros and cons are so that we can apply them um, at the right time. So as an example, hourly rate fees reduce your risk significantly because if you work on the project, you should, in theory, should be able to get paid at least a portion of that time, if not the whole time. But they also kind of limit your reward because you've got to put in every hour to get every every dollar back. Um, so there's a time and a place for hourly rates. So hourly rates are very good with uh, situations where you don't have a clearly defined scope and it would be too risky to put a lump sum or fixed rate uh, proposal forward. Or they're good for um, periods in the project where it's not a set time, it's not a set deliverable, such as contract admin uh that might be a good time to have an hourly or daily or weekly rate because you don't you don't have control over the construction typically unless you're a design build uh architect but typically you don't have control so you don't know how long it's going to take so in those situations less risk and, and less uh less reward less risk but it can be very suitable but for other occasions lump sum uh, fixed rate fees would be better or percentage fees Percentage fees are typically the best, but very hard to get. My big problem is scope creep. I mean, that's just a reality in almost every project. And is that my fault for not really nailing down what their full scope is? I feel like it's not. I feel like I've been I try to keep people at their original scope. If they've said this is a really strict budget that we have, then I have really told people you can't this. I, I hate to say this, but you can't afford to increase the scope. That is one of the things that I appreciate about Ian is that he's, he doesn't take that hard line on like, like Jonathan Stark. We talked with Jonathan Stark. Oh, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I guess. And, you know, he's, um, um, he, he's all about value-based pricing, which, you know, Ian talks about value-based pricing as well. Um, but Jonathan takes a, a really hard line on that. And and I totally appreciate drawing a line in the sand. I, I totally appreciate that. But I I also really appreciate where Ian's coming from. Uh, I, I think he's very pragmatic about it, 
right? What's, what's the best way for us to, to get paid? What's the best way for us to get our value, um, uh, from this, uh, from this client out of this project, however we, we want to say it. And, um, you, you know, I, I think the reality of the situation in this profession is that there is a time and a place where hourly is probably necessary. You know, no matter, no matter how you've defined the scope, et cetera. Well, I mean, even in the case of additional services, you know, how are we going to charge for additional services? How want to, I want to add this. Okay. Well, you know, is that a flat fee or, okay, that's fine. We can do that. I'm just going to charge you $500 an hour, you know, until, until we've, um, until we've completed that. So I, I, I'm with you. I appreciate the uh, flexibility, I suppose, there. John Jones made a comment that I thought was, um, that was interesting when they were talking about top tier uh, and getting to the emotional value of the client, what the client values. Um, and he said that he finds out what his needs are of the client, and then he embellishes on those needs in the top tier. He addresses those needs in the top tier of his proposal. So he kind of takes what they told him that they value and how he's, and then he adds that into the top part, which I thought was interesting. I think that's, that's really important. I mean, I, I think, you know, again, back to, we, we have to think of if we're going to do tiered proposals, if, if we're going to change anything, right, just as fundamental comment, if we're going to change anything, we have to think differently about the thing that we're going to change and how we approach it. And I think, I, you know, when John's talking about that and John and I are in a mastermind group together. So, um, we've talked about his tiered proposals before. And I think, I think that's a great approach when, when you're really wanting to set yourself apart from whoever they're comparing you to and you're repeating back to them or you're showing them, Hey, I was listening. Um, Hey, I understand what, what it is that you're trying to accomplish here. All of these things, um, that, that would, that's that emotional connection that starts to set up that emotional connection that Ian talks about and, and people pay for value. They pay for things that they, they want. It's a process. We, we have to drag it out of them. We have to, you know, examine, examine the situation. We have to interview them. We have to really tease it out of them because they're so close to the work they don't or or they don't always know exactly what the benefits are that they give their clients so the other way of doing this is to look at the client type and say what are their main interests you know what it, what is going to get them excited what's going to make them kind of roll their eyes so to speak um and it depends on the client type what's going to get them interested so to give you some examples, let's say you're working with a commercial client. So the reason the commercial client is moving forward is because they want to make money. Now, most architects will ask them what they want. So they might say, oh, I want a 68 unit hotel, uh, 68 room hotel, or I've got 30 million this, or I've got to do that or this, that and the other. What we often overlook or forget to ask is why they want it. And the why is usually because they want to make money. So if I'm building a hotel, probably to make money, I'm building a condo building, probably to make money. If I'm going to uh, do a tenant improvement on an existing 
building to put a restaurant in it, well, the restaurant is there to make money. So it really helps if we can speak in the vocabulary of our client and show them how we can help them make money. And it's even better if we can demonstrate past experience of helping other clients make money. Then if we can do that, then the client's interested. Okay. Because you know, 99% of the time, if I'm a developer, I'm not going to live in that project. In all honesty, I may not care how it looks, but if it makes me more money, then you've got my attention. And this is the challenge for architects because we as design professionals, we see it from the other side of the table. We see the design. We're very interested in design. We notice textures. We notice colors, uh, spaces, and things like that. Whereas a developer client would notice dollars and cents. And if they can't tell the difference between the design firms, everyone does great work, everyone's got a great portfolio, everyone's got a great story, great resume, then one way to make more money is to take it away from the design team and negotiate them down. Now, that's a commercial client. A residential client is going to be very different. They're building for personal taste. They're perhaps trying to demonstrate their success in life. They're perhaps trying to raise a family. Um, they might be uh, empty nesters and just looking for a change of life, but they're much more emotionally driven on that journey. Um, so saving them money or helping them make money, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'd be interested, uh, but getting what they want is is really kind of where it works out. So once again, we don't want to just ask them what they want. We need to understand why they want it. And then we can do a much better job at communicating why they might want to spend a little bit more on the design. So I love the fact that John is setting up his top tier in that way. And I think that can be incredibly powerful. Okay, great. This, you know, your middle tier is exactly what this other architect said, but oh my gosh, I mean, in this top tier, you're really hitting on what we said we needed, what we wanted. Um, that, that feels like the right fit to me. I think that's, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, me too. Having all that stuff all sorted out before you have to write a proposal is so much easier. And he was talking about the, um, the mindset that has to go, you have to have the confidence to ask, you have to have the confidence to ask for certain prices. And he wasn't talking about it on our show, but in other shows, he was talking about how, if you, the way you suggest things like charging for a site visit will make a difference as to whether or not they value it. If you sound like you're kind of tentative about it, maybe you don't want to pay for this kind of thing, but I could come over and, you know, then no, they're not going to want it. So it was, it, the mindset part is important too. I think it takes, uh, I think it takes courage. I think it takes confidence to simplify things. I think we, okay, well, I've got to write this proposal. All right. I'm going to write all this stuff blah, 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 because it covers everything. And I'm, I'm worried I'm going to forget something and I'm, I'm nervous that I'm not going to cover all of the scope and this, that, and the other. What if I actually had the confidence to say, you know what, this and this and this simplify it and, and make it very, very clear for my clients rather than, than throwing the, the word salad at them. You know, we, we, we do have to have confidence. We do have to say, um, you know, if you have a tiered proposal, I think there's three different ways that we can approach this. And 
I want to give you the opportunity to tell me what's most important about it. There's, there's a lot, I know there are a lot of people, a lot of architects that are like, oh my gosh, why would I, why would I give clients that much control over the process? Number one, because they want that much control over the process. That's part of that emotional connection. Well, I talked to these two architects and they said, this is the way we do it. Boom, here's the cost. Talk to this other and they let me pick and choose. They let me decide what was most important to me. That's a huge differentiator. Yeah, it really is. And I think that just starts the whole relationship off in a way that you are letting them have some control over what's going on, which maybe it's just me, but I think that's important for them to feel like they're making choices that matter to them, you know, that they have some control. I don't know. I, I prefer that myself. Maybe it's just me. Well, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I might bring this up every single week. I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, you have to realize that as an architect, you're in a professional services world. Right. That's what you do. That's that's what people call the quote unquote the industries, professional services. And I think a lot of times we forget about the service piece of it. You know, if how how are you how can you best serve your client? And like you said, if you start off in this way and give them them choices and and some some um um uh, uh, what's the what's the word I want? G- give them some ownership of the process. Like you said, what a great way to start the relationship off, but also what a way to demonstrate the fact that you're going to be you're going to be just awesome at serving them. Now, you know this coming from the guy that talks about, um, you know sort of getting beyond being a quote unquote service provider, right? There's, there's, there's a difference between taking orders and actually, you know, solving problems and and serving your clients in those ways. So, you know, don't, uh, don't get that confused, you know, don't fall into that trap, but, um, but that's what people are looking for is people that are going to help them through this architects that are going to help them through these processes and, and, um, you know, make them feel comfortable and make their life easier and, and all those types of things. Again, back to the emotions, the things that people are going to value. Yeah, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just not that controlling, but I feel like having people choose what they want me to do helps me know what they want me to do. Otherwise, I'm just not doing enough or I'm doing too much or I, I would never just tell someone this is the design that you should do. Like, I I just personally like to... Um, give them options and talk to them about different decisions and how I came to these various conclusions and then let them decide what they are, what's most important to them based on their budget and other trade-offs because there are always trade-offs in different ways. But Yeah. And I think it, it, again, back to the emotional connection and the things that people value is um, there, there are certainly people that, that want, you know, want you to lay it out and, you know, step one, step two, step three, and this is the way it's going to be, you know, they, they want that level of simplification, but 
but and again it depends on your client and your project type etc but but um you know having having a process that someone feels like they have some control over or or maybe not control over but at least input in you know is is this hey i'm hiring this person i'm paying this person hopefully a lot of money that's not they're not saying hopefully we're saying hopefully, hopefully. We're saying hopefully i'm paying yeah. this person <laughs> yeah i'm paying this person a lot of money are they listening to me or are they walking me through the exact same process that they walk everybody else through? The, you know, there, there, there are some, there are some business cases obviously for having a process, but most architects in my experience are, are trying to sell some bespoke process, some bespoke service, et cetera. That means that, um, that, that you've got to have, you've got to let them have some sort of input. And, you know, if you are running everybody through the exact same, same process, that is super easy to commoditize. Mm. You know, oh, it's a, you know, we talk about productizing design sometimes, haven't in a while, but sometimes we do. That, that would be, that would be, to me, that would be something that's totally sold on, on price. And the minute you start selling something totally on price, um, it, it's it's going to become commoditized, and that's that's a business model, that's a choice, right? If that's what you want to do, no problem, but you've got to understand how to operate in in that kind of arena. And most most architects that I know don't want to compete in that arena, but they set themselves up for that arena. Some of them, yeah. I mean, pricing is just a difficult thing. It's just difficult it on so many different levels. Like, like you were saying, the confidence level and what is your competition charging and what are people going to value? It's just, it's really difficult. It's a difficult part of yeah. running your own business. I would imagine whatever the business is. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, maybe to bring it full circle and to tie it to something that uh, that Ian talked about, and I don't I don't remember exactly the words that he used, but I think it. Um, um, well, the you, you know you shared John Jones's comment about how he he takes what the client says and puts that into the you know uses that wording or or embellishes that even and, and uses that in his top tier proposal. The the more we listen. And the more we understand, the better we communicate, um, the better we're going to be at this. Um, you know, if, if we didn't even talk about niches or anything in this conversation with Ian, but the more you, if you have a niche, the easier it is to understand the needs of those clients and the wants of those clients and understand that marketplace and, and then start to understand the value that people place on things but but it goes back to you you have to somehow you have to get to know these clients and what they need and what they want and what they value and all those things and i think it's to me it's more the more conversations you can have the better you're going to be at it is they're, they're going to tell you like they're going to answer the questions for you 
And I think it's, I, I know I've been there. I've done that. I'm guilty of this. I, I think there are a lot of architects out there that just don't want to do that. It's like, uh, and, and Hey, I'm, I'm really busy right now. I don't have, I don't have the time to do this or that. I get it, but your business is going to suffer for it. Mm-hmm. I've done it and our business suffered for it. Right. So, um, I think that's, I think that's one of the big keys in in this in this whole equation is we have to really know our clients and our market uh, and be really responsive to that when we're putting proposals together and we're trying to come up with uh, what our fee structure ought to be. To me, it's how do I how do I serve my clients at the highest level? That I think would probably bring most professionals, a lot of joy. How, how can I be the best professional I could possibly be? How can I make my clients the happiest they could possibly be? And of course that spills over into referrals and, you know, it's a whole other conversation, but, but it's not easy. Well, what did you think? Did you hear something in there that you can use in your practice today? If you are so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire Context and Clarity Live episode, head on over to the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity Live episodes. And if you want more of the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week, give us a thumbs up and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. If you like content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And one last thing before you go. If the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you, join me over on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations, and we take topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. We'll be back here again next week, and in the meantime... I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context is. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. <laughs> Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris. Owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. 
Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.